Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum and a proud member of the Drum Click Podcast Network. You can find out more about both of these at bigfatsnaredrum.com and thedrumclick.com. All right, so first things first, I have to make a correction from last week. Mark Stepper was our guest, and by the way, I take just as much blame for this as he does because I thought the exact same thing, but a listener pointed out that we wrongfully attributed the drumming on Rag Mama Rag by the band to Levon Helm. It makes sense as he was a damn drummer, but it was actually a different member of the band, pianist, multi-instrumentalist, and singer Richard Manuel. Please reach out to me if I ever make a mistake. Email me at ben at bigfatsnaredrum.com. I'll definitely be pissed, but at least I'll be able to correct myself. All right, so this week's guest is Ian Chang. I love, love, love Ian's playing. In addition to being a monster solo act, Ian also plays with Son Lux and Landlady, both of which have released new music recently, among many other projects. His timing is extremely fluid, but still grooves and never loses the essential pocket that makes it work. And oh boy, does it work. I have so much respect for Ian's individualism behind the kit, and I was really excited to learn the top five influences that made him into the player he is today. So, please enjoy my conversation with Ian Chang. drummers i'm really curious about this so how do you break down a two-hour practice session so it's funny you ask that because i really haven't been playing the instrument much lately (laughs) because (laughs) well in the pandemic like uh, i live in dallas and i have like downstairs neighbors and and i live with my partner and stuff and i don't have a space to really practice besides my little home studio and it's pretty loud when i do in here so uh yeah, when I do get to carve out some time to practice, it's usually actually the opposite, I think, of what people might assume I would go for, which is just, like, rudiments and, like, you know, like, putting rudiments around the kit in different ways. Um, yeah, usually, like, kind of more technical things because that's the thing that slips the quickest, at least for me. So it's, mm-hmm. like, I, I got to mow the lawn. Um and lately it's been untended, unfortunately. But um, so that's one thing that I do tend to practice. And I, you know, we all have our weaknesses and I know mine and they're really specific and I'm not going to divulge them on this podcast. But, God damn but, it. <laughs> no, they're just like really little, like specific things, certain tempos, you know what I mean? And I'll just kind of work on those. Um, and uh, yeah, that's generally what I do. Uh lately and i'll do like pad work and stuff too just to kind of try to keep my hands in shape um yeah it's kind of a boring answer but that's that is that's the the answer though and that's what i think (laughs) yeah yeah, i mean um when you're playing are you very cognizant of technique i'm not uh when i'm playing i'm definitely not thinking about technique i do think about being relaxed even though i'm not the most relaxed player maybe that's why i think about it but um (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've, I, I think while I'm playing, like especially on stage or in the studio or something, that's like not really on my mind. I think my like drum teacher in college, he was kind of like, okay, so your technique's like pretty good, but it's not amazing. Uh, but I think it's good enough, so we'll like deal with like other things. And so that's <laughs> kind of like what I've like how like after that, uh, I I've sort of dealt with it in a similar way i guess um but i loved my teacher uh tony moreno he's an absolute badass and for all the drummers listening who don't know who he is he's like completely next level so check him out yeah. tony moreno yeah m-o-r-e-n-o yeah okay yeah but so with with your beats and everything the cool thing and i've heard this i've heard Sonlux lux be described this way is that the beautiful thing about Sonlux lux is that you can't really describe it and i would also say that's similar to your drumming style uh in the best possible way but when you are creating a beat do you have any non-negotiables um that make it an ian chang beat 
if mm. that makes sense? Uh, not really. Um, and I think, you know, people, if anyone, like if, if a drummer like knows about me for some reason, it's usually for like some of the more off kilter stuff I've done, especially with Sunbox where I can really feel free to explore some weird options. And I know the guys in the band are like there for it, you know, but in a lot of cases, you know, I do tracking for all kinds of folks and, um, I'm like, I don't really have any, nothing's off the table. Like, I think mm -hmm. it just depends on the musical situation. Um, if I'm playing just like quarter notes on a floor tom, like that's like totally cool if that's the right thing. You know what I mean? So there's, there's no real, um, I, I don't think there's really any non-negotiables. I do have like some like allergies to maybe like certain types of drum sounds, but, uh, but in general, I, I'm pretty open. Yeah. What would those allergies be? Uh, just like super bright, uh, pingy symbols, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, and, um, maybe I was hoping you were like, going to say snare drum. And I'm like, I was well. going to say maybe, maybe like the three, 311 style, like kind of pingy snare. Although I have used that in some situations. So it, it just depends, man. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I did want to bring up a few uh comments from instagram because we asked mm -hmm. people if they had any comments and uh you, you might have read them uh you were tagged but brody simpson did not have a question and he just said he want he wanted to make it public that he was very keen to listen to this one and that he wanted you to know that you're sick that means a lot coming from him i mean i think the two of us maybe wired in similar ways uh he definitely explores a lot of similar concepts uh, that i do uh, and i really look up to him for the sounds and tones that he gets in the studio and kind of using the studio as an instrument in and of itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So thanks Brody. That's tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I was doing last year's, uh, best of 2020 mm -hmm. i was going through his episode and i was like i just basically his episode could just be one of the best ofs you know it was hard to yeah. figure out a clip because yeah he's he's a very insightful man so uh next one is rob meyer or mayor which is at liquid underscore gravy 26 uh he kind of has two questions but i think the first one is is the one i really want to focus on and he wants to know how you view your role as a composer when using both the Sunhouse system and or software and acoustic drums? Mm -hmm. So, it, yeah, it depends on the context. Uh, I'll start with Landlady and Sunlux. I really lean more heavily on like the acoustic instrument in both those scenarios. Uh, and in Landlady, I guess like, yeah, Landlady is really pretty much just all about like capturing acoustic sounds uh, and playing uh, and layering stuff. Uh, in some lux, it's a little bit more of a mix, but um, I think the core of my role in that band is still kind of at the drum set. We do a lot more kind of heavy processing to what we, re we record, and there's obviously electronics involved as well, but a lot of that is also not just, like if you hear an electronic beat in some lux, it's very likely that it could be Ryan, the singer, who is sort of like the original member who started out as a solo project and then because he's got like programming chops for days so depending on the song it could be one of either one of us um when it comes to translating that stuff live with sunlux i use like a hybrid acoustic and um, electronic kit so i have sensory percussion set up on my acoustic kick and snare um, just so i can kind of have like the samples that we've made on the records um, being kind of triggered by by the kicks and snares with blended with the acoustic sound and then i always have also one mesh head drum that's sort of like the wild card and i can throw any sounds on there sometimes it's like textures so i'll like roll on it and it might be like a flurry of saxophones sometimes it's like claps and whatnot you know the normal stuff and then i also have an spds because there's just a lot of samples that i'm handling with that band when we play live uh, and Landlady, it's a little bit more straightforward. I do have an SPDS for like little things, but it's mostly just like acoustic playing. Uh, and then in my solo project, the show that you saw, the hi hat, I made a very conscious decision to like uh, make it like completely non-acoustic um, because I think it was, you know, I think people always talk about electronic music as being something that's got no limits and. Uh, it can almost be dizzying like to like consider like how you even like make creative decisions and one thing i really wanted to explore and in particular at around the time that you saw me playing 
I wanted to explore like playing like a completely electronic environment that was like completely off click and also um, pretty improvisational uh, because I think that's that's like something that as unlimited as electronic music is, 99% of the time you hear something, it's going to be on some grid, you know what I mean? And so hearing those environments played by a human in a way that's like pushing and pulling feels kind of uncomfortable to be honest, but is something that's interesting that I was kind of uh, exploring. And um, yeah, and I, I also just found it very liberating to completely uh, divorce myself from the acoustic kit because then I'm not negotiating like, oh, like when I hit the snare, like what samples happening with that? It just like gave me complete like blank canvas for whatever. Like, I think there's like one song that I play that's like almost mostly just organ samples. And that's like super cool and fun for me to be able to play, use the physicality of my drumming to translate something uh, in like a totally non-drum kind of atmosphere. Yeah. Well, you're a great segue-er because I do want to play a song um, from uh, your first solo EP from the album cool. uh, Spiritual Leader, or the EP Spiritual Leader. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to play the song Quarry. And that's the one the, with organs. That's kind of why I was <laughs> like, hilarious. oh, he chose this uh. one. Yeah. Well, it's sick. So people listening, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, everything that you're hearing on this track that I'm going to play is you hitting your drums with a stick. And it's, yes. it sounds really rad. So just listen yes. to this. No, no, no overdubs, too. That was like my other rule with that EP. people that don't know about Sunhouse or sensory percussion can you explain a little bit about they're like what that's drums I don't I don't get it yeah yeah so uh, sensory percussion is at its core it's a machine learning system and uh, what you can do with that is that you can teach uh, the software to understand your drumming that's like the most like basic way to put it and the way that looks in practice is that um, and this works for acoustic drums or mesh heads or anything that like gives enough acoustic information for the sensors, which are basically microphones to analyze the sound. So uh, you take a drum and then there's you have 10 different zones that you can hit. Uh, there's like center of the head, edge of the head, uh, shoulder to the rim, tip to the rim, uh, rim shot to the center, rim shot to the edge, uh, stick shot and cross stick. I think that's all of that. I might be missing some, but you can basically program uh, the software to recognize these different kinds of hits um, by, you know, hitting learn and then hitting the center of the head about 70, 70 times or so, and then it'll just know. But the thing that's really powerful about it isn't the fact that it can turn any drum into like a 10 pad sampler. And honestly, it's not very practical to use that way because accuracy and consistency is like really difficult to like get it exactly right. But the thing that's powerful about it is that say you train the center and the edge of the head. You train those two things and the software will understand gradients between the two. Mm. And that's what makes it really interesting because now when I move from the center to the edge, I can map that movement to any knob. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's so that, sick. Yeah, that way it becomes like something that's uh, you can really use kind of one's expressiveness on a kit and all the subtleties and colors of what playing an acoustic kit is like and like port it to 
you know, an electronic environment that's like in a way that's very lively and very subtle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's it, that's pretty much like how I would describe describe it. And it's got tons of features and all kinds of cool shit to make make things fun. But yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's just in in this day and age, you see so many new products, and this is the one that really i think does change the game it, it, it's a whole new perspective on how to play drums and it's cool that your name i think to most people that know sunhouse and or sensory percussion your name is synonymous with the kind of progression of that of that uh technology so you're gonna live in infamy is what i'm trying to say <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i'm lucky because i got to beta test it and the guy who developed it is a friend of mine uh and so i was kind of lucky and in on the ground ground level and and it was really exciting to me and it was actually kind of my window into making electronic music myself uh, yeah yeah all right the second and last song i'll play from your past is actually from landlady's new self-titled album and it's the song molly pitcher and i love the drums on this one That that's a fun one. It's uh it's nice and kind of loose and free. Uh and we recorded that one. Um and I think a lot of this record we recorded just in the studio, all of us playing together, um, off click and yeah, that that is a very good example of that because I mean that particular song we made the conscious decision to not really have set parts because everyone in that band uh is really sensitive improviser and um so yeah we kind of just played it a few times down and that was that <laughs> i mean i don't want to be presumptuous but i one of the reasons i chose that song is because i believe in my head i feel that your second choice of your big fat five that drummer might have had an influence on that kind of style drumming i could be wrong no uh, absolutely absolutely yeah all right, well, on that gem of a cliffhanger, let's actually jump into your top five. Sweet. As always, I send my guests prompts, and they can choose which ones they want to kind of dive into. And so the first one that you chose to respond to was a specific groove that completely changed the way you think about drums. Mm. And I'm really bad at pronouncing things I don't know. So is it damn funk or dom it's, funk? It's dame funk. Dame, of course, the third option. <laughs> Not dame. the obvious option, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So dame, dame funk on... Uh, Peanut Butter, which is Wolf's B-Ball Zombie War compilation. Yeah, great compilation. There... There's a ton of awesome, like, inspirational beats on there, but this was one that I kind of really got obsessed with and was obsessed with being able to play it faithfully on the kit. So, yeah. Yeah, let me play a little bit of it, then we can talk mm -hmm. about it a little more. Yeah, that would be a tough one to execute because it's all yeah. about feel. Yes, yeah. And it's, you know, you can break it down to a certain degree in terms of like, oh, like what grid is a hi-hat on and what grid are those like flutter kicks, like double kicks, like what like what grid do those belong to and like how are they different? But at the end of the day, it's like, it's, it's just about like playing to it with headphones and trying to get into the particular swing that uh this track has and yeah I, I i was in college at the time and i just would play this for on loop for like a while because uh, i was so enamored with it yeah yeah there are a lot of drummers that i've talked to that the the, the dilla feel it gets brought up a lot because that's the good way to describe kind of the broken drunken drummer thing and they've some of them have said they think of it in quintuplets some of them they think of it just purely by feel i've always gone on the just by feel aspect of it um 
Is that generally what you do? Do you ever dissect things on, on, on a grid or is it, you know? Definitely have done both approaches. Um, and this is something I used to practice a lot when I was trying to kind of like find a certain type of fluidity with uh, playing grooves uh, that includes what we just heard, like this type of vocabulary. I would practice, you know, micro displacements, which is a popular thing that people are talking about. I think Mark Giuliano is like a master of this and just like practicing, like being able to like displace things in a beat by like a 32nd note or like a six, uh, 16th note triplet or something. Um, so there's that. And then also the idea of like playing a groove that maybe has a, a part of uh, this beat of it is in, in a triplet. And this beat of it is more of like a 16th note grid and just like, and maybe this beat is a quintuplet, like mixed grid stuff. So those are two things that are like technical ways that I kind of went into trying to practice this stuff. Quintuplet is definitely a big one. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of people talk about that. And then on the flip side, the other thing that I would practice was like playing to a click that clicked like once every four bars mm -hmm. and just like playing real free and not like um and trying to see and really feel like i literally play like basically out of time but then try to like hit those those marks like every four bars obviously not a very useful thing to practice but it was just something that was kind of like uh i was interested in um feeling the bigger time and not thinking about grid and then being able to sort of like snap into it if i wanted to so that there was sort of like this um i don't know like it's like you can like target practice like without like trying to snap into like the grid per se but just like being able to be aware of the grid while like not playing it if that makes sense yeah 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 it's just it's it's a buddy but you don't have to call it every day exactly you know. yeah <laughs> so it's kind of a mix it was a mix of few few different approaches to try to like kind of loosen loosen shit up yeah 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 so you said that you were at college when you heard that for the first time? Yes. Yeah. What kind of, I mean, is that totally different than the drumming you grew up playing? Or how would you describe yourself as a drummer before you kind of, that just tickled your fancy? So I think in all through high school, I was like, you know, doing the thing, like learning different styles, like learning how to play like bossa nova and doing like, like rock and jazz and all this stuff and kind of like getting like the the main idioms like under my fingers and to some degree mm -hmm. uh definitely not mastering anything uh necessarily but um you know it was a pretty wide net and i think late in high school i got into jazz and that's what i went to school for um uh, jazz like drumming and uh and then my freshman year in college i was like looking for gigs because i was in new york uh, for school and i answered a craigslist ad for like a weekly hip-hop um thing like night sunday nights uh, and i did that for a few, a few months i think and that's kind of like when i really started to get into like the minutiae of like how to like play the feel of like hip-hop backbeat playing you know and then i got really obsessed with like flying lotus and people like that you know uh, sure um and Dame Funk was definitely part of that. Uh, and yeah, so that's kind of how I, I would say I got into it. But before that, I was like super into singer-songwriter stuff, super into classic rock, um, jazz, and even like some other like electronic music as well. I've always kind of been a pretty omnivorous uh, music listener, I think. Yeah. Hey, y'all. I wanted to... <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember 
Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye all right so number two is uh, kind of what I was alluding to before with, with mm-hmm. Landlady with that song. It's uh, your favorite Phil choice moment and or moment from a certain record. And you chose I Live With You, which is Grizzly Bear. And I, how do you pronounce this album name? I think it's Vecatomist. I don't Vecatum- know. Pro- That's what yeah. I look at. I was going <laughs> to say that. The one time I don't even try, I would have gotten it right. But uh, all right. So yeah, let's just play. And you, you said the fill happens around four minutes and eight seconds. So I'll start it a little bit before. That's Raging. so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and the sonics of it, there's a whole lot more going on probably underneath than you really realize. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I remember hearing that Phil for the first time. Uh, again, I was in college. Uh, and yeah, I think that it's fu- it's funny. I was just talking about like how I used to exercise like playing with a, with a click once every four bars. And like this song is one of the reasons why I was interested in being able to do that kind of thing. Um, because like that was the first time I'd ever I think like going to college you know and studying jazz I had a lot of like sort of my vocabularies and um, you know just different compartments for different drumming you know in my head and I was interested in things that were different and and I was always interested in ways finding new ways to merge them and you know to say that what we just listened to is like a rock record with like, and that's a rock drum fill. Like that was the first time I ever heard a rock drum fill that sounded like that. You know what I mean? That was sure. like basically completely discombobulated and like in a way that like felt more like an injection of free jazz, but then in a context where there's these heavy downbeats. So it's undeniable that you can like feel the pulse. And just like when you hear him like burst and it feels like he's like throwing a bunch of, books like down the stairs and then like smashing on the downbeat it's like so satisfying and I just felt like it was such an emotional approach to drumming um and yeah it was it really excited me so yeah <laughs> when you have a fill like that do you try and learn it verbatim or do you just take it in and go okay I love that for what it is now next time I want to do something like that I'll channel that but not actually learn it that's a great question um and I definitely do not in this case I definitely never learned this fill verbatim like mm-hmm. I recognize that it's um he's doing some things around the kit that are probably things that are comfortable parts of his vocabulary but just like warping them in ways and and then like oh and there's the downbeat boom you know what I mean and <laughs> and so that that approach is like kind of what I take away from it more so than necessarily exactly like how he did it because I think in, in an example like this, it, it doesn't make sense necessarily to learn exactly what he played. Um, but it might be, that might be helpful for some people, but for me, it's not like how I approached it. Yeah. yeah, and this is a question that we, that a lot of people on Instagram want me to ask the guest, and it's how do you ingest your influences without ripping them off? I think you gotta do both 
uh, things. And by both things, I mean the thing that is like, you know, if you hear something that's really inspiring to you and maybe you don't understand it fully, but you want to understand it, then break it down and like, at the very least, like, you know, break it down to where you understand what's happening. And then the next level would be to like play it, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's like super valuable because that's how you can grow and, uh, find inspiration in things that are outside of yourself to shock the system. And then the other thing, the other direction is like, I think it's important to spend time experimenting, uh, by yourself at the kit as well. Um, and finding, you know, just like look at the instrument from every angle and like just try to find try to find something with your hands and play something that you've maybe never played before. Uh, maybe like at the end of a practice session where you're doing more like technical things or learning songs or whatever, like just like have free time where you're like, okay, I'm going to like just play and let my ears guide me, but also like try to push into uncomfortable territory and just try to find stuff because you never know what might happen i don't know and that could be that could look like oh like maybe trying to like prepare the drums in different ways to get different sounds or it could be you know trying to um play a beat like differently i don't know it could look like anything so i think it's Mm -hmm. important to like have that alone time as well as to really do your homework and study the stuff that uh is exciting to you yeah Going back to the quarry thing, when you're working on, let's just say that song, that song specifically, you had those those organ sounds. Did you have an idea, or were you, was it literally? I'm not sure how the interface or the the, um, the software of sensory percussion works at all. But did you just kind of go, ah, oh, it's a you know rack tom, floor tom, rim, and then you just went, okay, I'm just going to start experimenting and kind of did what you just said, kind of yeah. at the end of your practice. That's totally what that was because yeah. I started, and the whole EP, for the most part, except for maybe a couple songs, what came about in this way where I found some sounds that were interesting to me. I processed them and messed with them in a certain types of ways and mapped them to the kit in a specific way where they're affecting what, like, just created an environment. So I created, like, my drum kit of organs. And and then, and along the way, I'm messing messing around playing it a little bit and seeing like what feels good and then when it feels like a kit that i can just like zone out and like play then i'll just kind of yeah mess around try to find like themes and variations um and in that example is actually a good one for like finding something that my hands just don't normally do because i think i started playing a uh i'm so bad with like nomenclature of rudiments but whatever right left right right left left is it's a really common one. I started playing that uh, on over the floor and the rack and kind of like doing it in a pattern where like certain notes I was hitting on the edge of the head would pop out and create like sort of this vibe. And then I was doing put a kick. So it's like on this like six, eight vibe. And then and then I found another melody that was more in four, four. That was like really slow. And then I would like I was like messing around with playing the kick in like this like 12, eight vibe with like this melody that was like very much in four four over it and that like broke my brain and it took me a second to like kind of get and then when i got it i was like cool like this is a fun thing you know (laughs) i don't know yeah Yeah. no it's sick i mean that's that i mean what when it comes to what you were doing describing that with the whole sensory percussion there's no way for you to sound like any other drummer in that setup so at least you at least have that you're like i know whatever i'm doing is the first time anyone's been doing this I remember actually hearing Mark, I think maybe on your podcast, talking about how like, you know, uniqueness is like a, sometimes can be a trap that people fall into where they yeah. think they have to be unique. Um, and I think maybe I do have a bit of that like uh, fever or bug where like I, I'm always trying to do something different. Um, but I do also think that like, you know, sometimes it might look like me just like learning how to play something like really simple really well you know um and it it can kind of go go either way if you guys don't i mean ian's referenced the mark uh episode a few times and it really is a good one mark's just like an old sage not not that he's old he's only a few years my senior but he's a sage he he definitely put me in my place a lot during that show (laughs) in, in the best possible way 
But speaking of, of sages, uh, let's go to number two, a performance which you either played or witnessed uh, that altered your, your musical course. And it's Deerhoof at uh, Spiegel Tent. It's a, <laughs> Spiegel it's, Tent. So it's, it was a traveling venue called Spiegel Tent that like, um, of that, like had a season in Brooklyn. Uh, and it's a really beautiful tent. If you look up photos of it, um, it's gorgeous and super unique and Deerhoof is a band that I was already into at the time and I believe they were uh, touring off of their 2008 album Offend Maggie and but it was my first time seeing them live and Greg Sonier the drummer and sort mm-hmm. of like the the head of that band um yeah just absolutely blew me away <laughs> um and <laughs> so, just yeah. seeing like the intensity and intention that he put behind like every single note um while also still like being completely wild um yeah like it 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 kind of rewired in my brain like what it what it means to be like a drummer on stage and to like really like mean everything that you're doing you know what i mean um i think the same could be said of the first time i saw brian blade play like a thousand percent you know guys like that it's just uh you know it, it doesn't even feel like they're playing drums sometimes it's like it's just pure expression like that that's the shit and that's kind of how i felt when i saw that show um and yeah i'm a huge fan of him and uh have been lucky to be able to work with him in some capacities uh in the past few years yeah so that's that's been really cool cool for for me and he's just like the most amazing humble like uh sweetest guy as well yeah can you talk a little more about working with greg yeah so uh well this the first example, the most recent example, I didn't work with him per se, but we both played drums on the same album. Um, is an album by Kazu Makino from Blonde Redhead. She put out a solo record a couple years ago, and it's like pr- about half and half, like me and him on the record, which was really cool for me. <laughs> and the funny thing was that after that, I ended up touring that record, so I had to put my Greg hat on for like half the songs you know what i mean and that was such a joy um and uh but the the one time i really did get to work with him was um i was drumming in a band called people get ready this was a while ago maybe like 2013 or something like that i could be i'm so bad at remembering when things happened but that's just a guess uh and we were he was producing this record and i just remember being it was just a really inspiring kind of um, process. And I got to kind of see just how like, he's so good at uh, making people excited about musical ideas, which is like what a producer should be, you know what I mean? And, um, and also like was so positive in the way he navigated everything and um, always had really strong vision and really strong just like uh ideas i don't know it was it was it was really cool to to work with someone like that at that stage in my life um and uh definitely took a lot away from from it yeah so you described his production style but what do you mean by putting on greg's hat as a player i mean for for better for worse like since he's such a big influence on me it wasn't that big of a stretch to put on that hat i think um (laughs) yeah He's, I would say he's like maybe 20% more like, like explosive in a way than, than I am. Um, so in some ways it kind of pushed me to kind of really try to find like that fire, uh, and, and brashness cause he, he totally has that. And, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, he's inspired. He's, he's influenced me in a, a number of ways, both in playing and like, you know, he's the first person I ever saw, like put two rides together as a hi hat. Or like, you know, just like all kinds of things, all kinds of things. But um, yeah, so in terms of playing, yeah, I don't know. He has a certain kind of bounce that I, I'm just familiar with. And I I tried to channel it as best I could, but still be myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. so you said you saw him in 2008. So I actually did pick a song from their 2000 seven or eight record because I'm assuming they were on tour promoting that. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe this will get the audience into the vibe of what, of what yeah. Greg was doing.
All right, so number four is a record that hit you at just the right time and represents a big piece of your artistry. So you chose James mm. Blake's 2011 self-titled record, and you wanted to talk specifically about the song Unlock. So mm -hmm. let's just play that right away, and then we'll get into it. so rad yeah and it, it's one of those things where it's like what's the downbeat is it the kick is it the synth like yeah is it like does it like i don't know he created like this perfect like smoke screen almost where like the impressions of like what a normal beat are are all there you know kick clap kick clap like it's a backbeat but it like is not a normal <laughs> Uh, and it is warped in ways that like are really difficult to make heads or tails of it, but it feels really cool and like kind of like shifting sands. I don't know. I was I was really taken by this when it came out, and um, it uh, is definitely like affected the way I thought thought about um, backbeat groove uh, drumming and ways in which it could be explored that like feel familiar but strange at the same time and i think that's something that i've definitely carried with me um in terms of like s types of grooves that i enjoy uh coming up with uh can can be kind of like summed up in this way there's there's like a thing that i'd like to do where i'll think of a very basic like normal kind of groove uh backbeat groove and then find a way to warp it um, where the impression of the original groove is still there because things happen in the same order and like the intention of like the way it's phrased is like still there, but it's like cracked, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's fully comes from me hearing this and like kind of being like, wow, like that's, that's, I can nod my head to that, but I don't, couldn't even like necessarily tell you like where like the downbeat is hitting you know? <laughs> well it's like if you gave an npc to an alien and they're like act human and though they only heard one song but yeah so going again going back to the mark thing that's how i approach a lot of things too is how i have an idea and then how can i how can i alter it a little bit and mm -hmm. and his thing was sometimes that comes across uh, superficial and disingenuous but mm -hmm. for you i feel it does that is an extension of who you are is is uh, it doesn't feel contrived when you're doing it, is what I'm saying. Um, well, I, I appreciate you saying that. There's definitely instances where it, it probably was pretty contrived, but uh, it's something that I I'm, I keep banging my head against and, and trying, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of things that... That's why I asked what you work on in practice is, you know, is it rudiments? Is it playing along to songs and figuring out parts specifically? Or is mm. it messing with time and, and, you know, saying David Letterman, David Letterman over like a 4-4 beat, you know? <laughs> uh, by the way, do you have a word or like how do you count quintuplets? Do you just, is it an eight to you now? It's a, oh yeah, come on now. Oh yeah, come on now? Yeah. Oh yeah, come on now. Oh yeah, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be the promo for this episode by the way i'm sorry <laughs> it's, it's funny because it's actually not a great one i think david letterman's probably better because of the way the consonances are but i just think oh yeah come on now it's so funny so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so the last one and you went rogue on this one and deviated from my prompts which is encouraged and so you wanted to talk about bjork's vocal phrasing and how it changed the way you think about rhythm so i'm going to pull up the song undo from the album vespertine and yeah, we'll discuss.
That's really cool, man. I'll be the first to admit I don't I don't really know much of Bjork's catalog. That's mm. a really cool song. Yeah, man. Uh, definitely, I envy you uh, because then now if if it if the inspiration strikes for you to check it out, the the catalog is deep and amazing. Uh, there's so awesome. much so much awesome stuff and yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, I actually haven't heard that song in a, in a while, but it is a touchstone for me. Um, because I was, again, college, you know, I was in college and like doing the thing that a lot of kids do in, in jazz school, which was like arranging a song, like a Bjork song or a Radiohead song or something for like a quartet, you know, mm -hmm. and it was like for my, uh, some recital or something. And I remember, you know, I was kind of like figuring out like the harmony and like, for, like kind of figuring out like what I wanted the piano to play and what, blah blah and then it came time to like write down the melody and I listened to it and the melody is simple you know but then I was starting to pay attention to exactly where she was placing her words and it was like so weird and so strange and wrinkled in ways that are like so specific like she'll do the same thing like on like, uh, what is it? Um, like the way she sings a struggle up here is like really, really specific and really bizarre. And it's the same, like each time. Mm -hmm. And the verses are like crazy. Like, and you know, a lot of people like give uh, singers a bad rap about like not having good rhythm or whatever. But I think a good singer, it, they just think like the way rhythm works for, for them is just different. And um, I think what unlocked for me when I was transcribing um, her phrasing exactly uh, was that, um, and this is an example where I like probably overanalyzed something where she was just like feeling it, you know? Yeah. Um, but what I, what unlocked for me was just that like the relationship between melody and rhythm is way more, is way less separate than we're like made to believe. And mm. that if I just played rhythmically, like to a click and you heard like me just like hitting a ride exactly where she placed all her notes, like without like her voice and without the pitches or anything, um, there is something about just the phrasing alone. That's like, that communicates the emotion that she's putting into it. That might sound really weird. And some of your listeners might be like, fuck this guy. <laughs> but like, <laughs> But I, it like really like blew my mind. I, I it was some and it and actually to tie it back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of like wrinkly uh, regular beats, um, that's sort of like the goal for me too is to do so in such a way that it feels emotionally expressive or um, like where it's 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 actually like kind of making something feel. Uh, not just from a groove perspective, like a certain way, but like from like a almost like a melodic lyrical perspective, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's crazy. Like listening to that song just now, it like almost brought me to tears. Even just like hearing the way she phrased that shit is like so crazy. Um, and yeah, that's that's something that like really rocked my world when I when I. So I'm glad that I was forced to write down something for a saxophone player to play and i remember when i handed it to my buddy who plays sax he was just like whoa this is weird <laughs> like yeah to like actually like kind of like get the phrasing like it, it's uh it's it's not normal it's not easy it's not it's not that's not normal it's just like it's it's way more complicated than it comes off because when you hear it it just sounds like she's singing but yeah um the way where she's placing everything it's like it's really deep man like it's it's crazy yeah. Well, I mean, whether someone can resonate with that or not, that, that's what that melody did to you. And so it's yeah. an objective truth. That is what happened, yeah. Yeah. you know? Well, Ian, I mean, that's your five, man. I'm really stoked you were able to come on. Uh, Absolutely. And yeah. I know that uh, I got some DMs of people that were really stoked. And I was actually just talking... I'm going to call him out, but Mike Dawson, I was chatting to him right yeah. before I got uh, on with you, and he was, he was super stoked to oh, hear this so episode. Cool. So. I've never met him, so... Much respect, and uh, that that's cool to hear that he was stoked about me being on here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you should you should go on his podcast, the Drum Candy Podcast. I'm sure he'd yeah. love to talk snare yeah. drums or anything with you. So totally. Yeah. 
Speaking well, of snare drums, big fat snare drum, huge fan. Just needed to put that out there. It it doesn't. It's super important for me to have in any studio situation or any touring situation because uh, it's a wonderful shortcut to to getting some sounds that I like. So yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I mean, yeah. we, we we try not to push it. I jokingly push it sometimes on this yeah. podcast, but it's nice. I did not pay Ian too much to say that. It was like eighty bucks, so uh, don't. No, he didn't. Pay, he didn't pay me anything. And it's 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 truly a, a product that I, I really enjoy and uh, rely on in a lot of scenarios. So it's cool. Oh, yeah. well, thanks, man. Yeah. So besides the landlady uh, having an album that came out this last mm -hmm. or this this year, are there any other projects that you'd want to hit people to? Mm. Yeah, uh, Sunlux put out like a three volume album um, over the course of last year and this year called Tomorrows. Um, there's a lot of drumming, like stuff that I feel like drummers could potentially sink their teeth into. So definitely check that out. And uh, I also have a record, a solo record that I put out last year called Belonging. Um, that was like the follow up to the EP that we heard mm -hmm. uh, Corey from today. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. I'm working on a lot of stuff now, but that'll be for the future. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, thanks for being the show, man. And I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Ben. It was a pleasure. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger. And hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.